HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with cookbook author Mindy Fox. Such an easy name to say. <laughs> Thank you for that. Mm, thanks for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> so, first, congrats on the release of your newest cookbook, Salads Beyond the Bowl. Oh, Joe, do we have like an echo effect for when I say Beyond the Bowl? Because that would be quite excellent. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> beyond the Bowl. <laughs> um, awesome cookbook. I literally read it cover to cover, and I'm going to make most everything. I'm going to need friends to come over because there's going to be a lot of salad soon. Oh, good. <laughs> Salads in your life yeah. is a good thing. It didn't start that way in the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, for me. Yeah. Way back in the seventy, in the swinging seventies, in the suburbs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how much salad did you actually eat? Well, back then there weren't the fabulous array of greens that yeah. you see in the supermarket. And my mom was a fantastic cook. I'm really lucky to come from two incredibly sensitive parents in terms of food and where food comes from and cooking and. So she was always tinkering around. Even back then, she was a really great cook. Um, but salad-wise, you know, there was romaine and iceberg. Yeah. <laughs> and those aren't, those are wonderful things. But, you know, it just wasn't as the 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 amount of choice yeah. that you have today. But you had a backyard garden. At that time, she had a small backyard yeah. garden. We had a she had a patch. Yeah, like her little. She herbs. had herbs, microgreens. Yeah, yeah, she had herbs. We didn't really even have microgreens. She had herbs, but it was really nice because my brother, who is three years younger than I, and who um, ended up in the cooking industry too, he's a chef in Colorado. 
Um, we were extremely influenced by her and her interest in the garden and bringing things in from the garden. Even when you're that little and we were, you know, in our formative years, we were under 10. We understood by watching her what it was, the importance of, you know, picking something and having it at the table that night. Yeah. So uh, in what cooking techniques and what dishes were the herbs implemented? Oh, whatever she would do, you know, sprinkling them over a finished dish, a stew, or putting them into a soup that she was cooking, or, you know, there was also just sort of the idea of sitting in the dirt and playing with her, you know, in the dirt, and that's what kids love to do, so it just felt good, and it was a natural, sort of just seeped into our consciousness, Yeah, the farm-to-table, you know, kind of concept, even back then. But you were also a fondue family. We were. We had a lot of fondue. And that was, you know, actually really exciting because you you could cook your own food right yeah. there at the table. Oh, so at a young age, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's great for kids. Yeah. I think it's great for kids today. Yeah. So, you know, that was that also was fun. And she would, you know, invite us into the kitchen. She wanted us around. So one really, really fun thing that she used to do when we were little was she would make dried shrimp shrimp chips yeah that's hard to say try shrimp chips (laughs) say that that i'm not gonna say it because i don't (laughs) want to get you don't want to mess it up but if if people haven't had them they're really really fun and you just fill up a high-sided skillet with oil and you get really ripping hot yeah and you throw these little they're like little chips little they're like little coins and they're different colors and you throw them into the oil and they puff up and they get all and they're crispy and crunchy and they kind of they have air in them and they have kind of this little you know they have just a slightly shrimpy taste and there were all these different colors and they kind of crackle on your tongue they're kind of like kind of like in a way the way like a rice they're just they're they're their own thing i mean they're just great you gotta try when's the last time you had a shrimp chip well my friend gail simmons actually (laughs) made them for me when she came back from her honeymoon in vietnam yeah because she had had them there, and she was very excited about it. And she made an incredible meal for my husband and I and her husband. And we had shrimp chips to start, and I literally had not had one since the 70s. Yeah. And it was really great. And they, they're easy and fun. They're great for parties. Awesome. Are they in any of your salads? They're not in any of my salads, but I do have some very unusual, fun ingredients in, in some of my salads. That you do. But maybe you can do a little, uh, you know, outtake and introduce the shrimp trip back into... Yeah, it is hard to say. It's, yeah, <laughs> I, I wasn't lying. Yeah, the, the SC back into our everyday life. Yeah, I so, think they'll, they'll come into vogue again. Yeah. Um, so, your food vision, you, what you were, you know, privy to was really opened up by her mother, not only in the garden, but there, there was a store called Food Stuff in Chicago. Mm-hmm. In So we lived in Chicago in the 70s. Uh, and at that time, um, Carol Siegel, who's Gordon Siegel's wife, and Gordon Siegel and Carol, probably together, opened Crate and Barrel in the 60s in Chicago. Yeah. That's a Chicago, you know, claim to fame. Yeah. The Cubs, Crate and Barrel. And what else? Awesome hot dogs. Yeah, awesome hot dogs. <laughs> and Mindy Fox. Well, not from there. I'm, yeah. I was actually born here in New York City. But yeah. um, we did move out to Chicago when I was <clears throat> six. And mom got mom took a job at Food Stuff. So um, Food Stuff's opened. And it was the dawn of the gourmet grocer. 
and my mom took a job there and she was in charge of the coffee. So, you know, way back, it seems like millenniums ago in the seventies, um, my parents were grinding their coffee and using the French press one day and using the Chemex another day. And, you know, maybe they were doing the Italian stovetop espresso one day and we had different coffee grinders and it was, it was really quite something. So, to also see your parents get passionate about the craft of coffee, you know, the craft of which is just speaks to the greater craft of food and cooking and, you know, that cup of coffee being so important to them. It just, I mean, it really fed our subconscious in terms of, you know, where we ended up, my, both my brother and I. So in this wonderful, you know, food world of cooking and crafting and cookbooks and magazines and just you know and it's endless yeah so uh there was a woman i i did not know her name um ann robbins ann robbins her name is ann Rowe robbins yeah. and so now you're going back a little a little we're jumping back into time yeah. we're, we're like michael J. i like Fox. that yeah <laughs> But it's also like a good foreign movie. Yeah. You know, not told from A to Z. Yeah. No, this is non, a nonlinear yeah. <laughs> approach. But yes, when I was, well, my mom was pregnant with me at the time, actually. And she was, she and my dad were living in Riverdale. Their first apartment was in Riverdale. My dad was a young advertising man. And it was the madman, madman days. So we're all having a lot of fun watching that. <laughs> um, and um, my mom was, she worked, but then she, when she got pregnant with me, she stopped working and she wanted to hone, she was always interested in cooking, but she, this was really where she got her start, her real excitement about food and cooking. And she took classes from Ann Rowe Robbins, who was a celebrated cooking instructor and she had a little cooking school. Um, in her apartment on the Upper West Side. And Craig Claiborne, who uh, was at the New York Times, said that she and James Beard at the time were the two most important cooking instructors in the city. So, um, you know, that's kind of exciting to think back. And she lived, by the way, until she was 94. She died in 2000. My mom and I yesterday, we did a Google search for her and we found her obit on the New York Times website and it's pretty wonderful. So if anybody's curious about her, she was really undersung, I think. And my mom was pregnant with me and she was taking classes from Anne Rowe Robbins. So I think I was, you know, sort of listening in from the womb. Getting a free education in the womb. Getting a free education. (laughs) I mean, it was great. My mom was learning how to make, you know, minestrone and scalloped potatoes and cannelloni and Florentines and leg of lamb and chicken liver pate and that was all really you know really exciting at the time yeah really different and and you know it was new and you know entertaining in the home and or just even cooking for your family you know there was just so much happening I, it, I'm sure it was an exciting time yeah and so speaking of Ann and James Baird you eventually moved into his backyard from Chicago um, did the New England thing yes there was rhubarb in the fields apple trees so when i was in the middle of the school year all you parents out there don't do this to your children (laughs) don't you don't do this to your 13 year old daughter (laughs) it will come back to haunt you um but everything's good now but it was hard at the time i was 13 years old it was the middle of the school it was january and it was cold in new england well we moved from we moved from the windy city to 
the Hanover, New Hampshire area. Yeah. And which is a wonderful place. And um, but at the time, you know, it's hard to see that when you're a kid and you've got your friendships and everything's all about your friends. You know, it's your own little micro me world with your friends and everything. So, well, we moved to uh, New England in the middle of seventh grade. And um, we, so we went from the New York City life to the Chicago sub- suburbs to um, New England, and it felt really rural to me. It was very rural. Yeah. We lived five miles from town, so it was like instead of going down the street to your friends, you know, it was, you know, always depending on mom. And uh, but there were a lot of really exciting and good things about it, including mom went from having that little tiny backyard garden patch which was adjacent to the barbecue patio (laughs) and the swimming pool and she went from that to having five acres of beautiful land with apple trees and blackberry bramble up the road and there was rhubarb in the garden and we had all sorts of squashes and we had nasturtiums and we had squash blossoms and so this was her opportunity to really get dirty in the garden. Yeah, a little and barn, some sheep. Don't forget those sheep. Well, Dad, the <laughs> ad man, had this great idea. He was becoming a gentleman farmer, <laughs> and it was uh, this could be a whole radio show. We should yeah. get my dad in here, please. Yes, he's good like that. Yeah. He's funny. <laughs> um, but so he, we had a barn on the property and he decided to get a flock of sheep and we knew nothing about, you can't just, you know, throw yourself into raising sheep unless you, you know, stop working as an advertising executive <laughs> and, you know, start learning how to seriously do farming. But um, so the lambs were giving birth, you know, the ewes were giving birth to the lambs at the wrong time of year you know there's a reason for spring lamb it's after the cold of winter the lambs are born or at least toward the end of that but instead they were you know they were mating at the wrong time of year and the ewes and the sheep the ewes were giving birth and we had to bring those beautiful oh little lambs of the cutest things ever into the house and bottle feed them and we had <laughs> the cat and the dog and the and the, the baby lambs and it was just a scene. And um, so, you know, and then my dad, when the lambs were ready, you know, he got them, you know, sent them on their way to come back as Sunday dinner. Yeah. And it was hard to, um, you know, I didn't grow up around that. It, it wasn't like I was born in that rural setting and, and with a farm or something. So at 13, when you think, you know, like kids who aren't exposed to this stuff, just the 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 chicken leg and thigh just comes in a package from the store and you don't have a relationship with that animal and you I always loved I loved animals I was I always had dogs I'm a big dog person still and um, I hope you're listening Jasper <laughs> actually we do have the radio on for oh you I'm right assuming now. this is your dog mm-hmm. yeah yep, I wish I could speak dog yeah well he's he probably hears okay hey Jasper um and. Uh, Anyway, so that was a tough lesson, and I was also having a little bit of my own teenage angst, so I became a pescatarian <laughs> in retaliation. And no better place to become a pescatarian than going to college in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, there the, <laughs> right there in the middle of the country. Yeah, exactly. Land yeah, so locks. I ate a lot of cheese. Yeah. 
<laughs> that was my freshman 15. I yeah. had a lot of cheese. Cheese and beer. Yeah. They go well together. It's, it's a wonderful way to gain it. Yeah. I, yeah. I would do it again and again, and sometimes I do. Um, not exactly. a bad thing. In Wisconsin, you started cooking for yourself. I uh, did. Exploring food a little bit more. How so? Oh, yeah. Actually, one thing that uh, you just reminded me of was I definitely had a hard time with the cafeteria <laughs> in uh, the freshman dorm. And there wasn't a whole lot I could do about that. But um, in subsequent years, I had my own apartment and I loved to cook. I actually lived across the street for any Madison fans out there. From the, I lived on Mifflin Street, the famous Mifflin Street in oh, Madison. We, we have a huge listenership, uh, UW. Oh, you know? <laughs> excellent. That is so exciting. <laughs> Probably um, one or two. Well, I lived across the street yeah. from the Mifflin Street Co-op, and I helped paint that mural on the side <laughs> of the Mifflin Street Co-op. And I worked at the co-op, and it was really terrific. And I also worked for Victor's Coffee. I've got to get back to Madison. I don't know if Victor's Coffee still exists, but... <clears throat> Again, it's hard to remember the yeah. <laughs> time before Starbucks and before just any chain coffee store like that. But there was this great place, Victor's Coffee, and I had the most awesome, fun job of working the coffee cart. So on the library mall, I worked the coffee cart a couple days during the week. And on Saturday mornings, I got up at three o'clock in the morning. And I went to Victor's and I brewed the coffee and then we hit, we would hitch the coffee cart on the Victor's car and I got to drive the car to the Capitol, the, in Madison, the farmer's market on Saturday mornings is phenomenal. Yeah. It is so dramatic and beautiful. The Capitol building in Madison, Wisconsin is gorgeous and the farmer's market goes around, you know, probably now all four sides of the Capitol and it was the perfect, perfect job for me i got to you know the sun would come up and the farmers would be unpacking their their vegetables and fruits and pies and i you know everybody at the market whether you were a farmer or a coffee girl you know you interacted and i just loved meeting the farmers and forming relationships with them and hearing their stories and we would do trades and i would go home with armloads of vegetables and it was just really special yeah and what was your degree in college? Was it meeting farmers? <laughs> <laughs> I studied film theory, French, and um, art, fine art. I did I did some photography. I did the fine art towards the end. Yeah. I did letterpress printing. I was really just trying to find my medium as a creative person, but it was like a little bit academic with the film theory and then, you know, just creative art stuff. But you eventually found your muse in, in a small little city called Paris. Oh, I spent my junior year in Paris where literally I pinched myself every single day and I still can't believe that I, it was my first time ever in Europe. I was 20 years old when I landed there, you know, the days before my junior year started. And I spent the whole year there. And I just, it was so amazing. It was so eye-opening. The, all the European marketing system where there's the patisserie and the boulangerie and there's the place where you get your meat and, you know... It was just a phenomenal. And the market, the outdoor markets there, I had one in my neighborhood twice a week. And that was the first time the, that I tasted, you know, fresh figs that tasted. I remember just I was so crazy about the figs. 
And I had a really good friend named Jean-Francois who, well, I lived in a seventh floor walk up (laughs) um, maid's room. And if you've never been in one, what you do is you go through the courtyard um, and then you go to through the, the old servant's entrance and then you climb up seven flights of stairs. And as they do in Europe with their smart kind of eco living, I mean, it was for, you know, resources to protect resources, but the light keeps going off. You have to run your hand along the side of the <laughs> wall to find the little light switch Yeah, to click it. And then it's on a timer and it inevitably goes off before you've gotten to the next, you know, time that the light switch, I think it's every other floor Yeah, um, comes back. Anyway, I lived in a tiny room. I had a hot plate and a sink in my room. I did not have a refrigerator, but I had an awesome windowsill. What, which had a little, you know, fence around it. And I would put my milk out there and my cheese until, it, you know, definitely through the winter months, I kept, you know, perishables out on the windowsill. Yeah. And I still, I was driven to cook in that apartment. It didn't matter that I didn't have, you know, a fridge and I only had a hot plate, but I made some pretty badass meals in there. Well, I also think that seven flights of stairs also helped with the french 15 yeah well that was the freshman 15 <laughs> yeah well i mean the i put Fren- on oh yeah there was yeah. a french 15 you know, probably too creams, yeah definitely baguettes. i had some exercising yeah. <laughs> to do when i got back especially since i was yes indulging in the cheese it's for not sure a, not a bad thing yeah but well, my friend jean francois taught me how to make salad endive yeah with on with endive as a single ingredient and it was really an eye-opening um experience i talk about it a little bit in my book and it really kind of is what inspired the whole first chapter of my new salad book which is really focused um on one or two ingredients the salads are more like that you could serve them as small plates but it's really celebrating you know the celery root or the on or the endive or you know, sort of understanding how easy it is to to just take focus on one ingredient and some good olive oil and good salt and just, you know, maybe one or two other things. Excellent. Well, we're going to take a quick break and talk more about how Mindy brought salad back to the States. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. and sustainable seafood at Whole Foods Market. On April 22nd, Earth Day 2012, we'll be eliminating all red-rated species of wild-caught fish and seafood from our stores across the country. It's our way of supporting our oceans and helping to reverse trends in overfishing. Learn more at blueoceaninstitute.org and wholefoodsmarket.com.
Hey, and welcome back to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here with Mindy Fox of the new wonderful cookbook, Salads. And we were just talking about Paris and a simple endive salad, but we also want to give you a copy of this book if you're listening. Uh, we're going to do a little giveaway, and you could write in, actually, just directly to me, michael at harlanturk.com. That's H-A-R-L-A-N-T-U-R-K.com. Um, and give me your best salad recipe, and I'll pick a winner at random. This is for Mindy Fox's salads. Beyond the bowl. Oh, oh. Joel, where were you with that echo effect? <laughs> I, thought, I thought we were working on that. We'll do it yeah. together. Beyond the bowl. <laughs> bowl. Next time. Next, next time. time. Next salads time. beyond the bowl. Beyond the bowl. Extraordinary salads. Well, in the bowl, in Paris, on Dive salad, what was in there? Mm, well, it, at its most simple, it was just literally i learned that you can take a, a, you know two or three on on dive on dive for one or two for two people or for me like i yeah. love on dive i can eat like a giant <laughs> bowl of them and you cut them crosswise on the bias and in not too well you could do it thin or thicker you know and the way you cut things this is important yeah and this is important to me and exciting to me but the way you cut you know a vegetable like endive, for example, if you do it really thin, it sort of tastes one way. And if you do it thicker, it tastes another way. And it's especially, you know, easy to sort of understand this with fennel, um, with raw fennel. If you do it really, really thin shaved, it's sort of, um, you know, it's more delicate. The thicker you cut it, the more of that, you know, anise forward flavor you get on uh, in your mouth. So that's cool. Too. Yeah. I just love salad yeah well i mean salad is such a um, textural thing i it mean it is it has uh, probably some of the most interesting and wispy uh, textures yeah and shapes and such you know th- there is a roast and a roast is a big old hunk of meat and there's the crispy outside sometimes in the tender interior but there there's you know 20 times of uh, those textures and shapes in, in the salad re- bowl sometimes. yeah it's it's it is really yeah. exciting with salad, but getting back to the endive, I'll answer that really quickly. You know, at its simplest, it was um, the endive, you know, shaved up and with some really nice olive oil and really, really nice, you know, coarse flaky sea salt on it and maybe a touch of vinegar or maybe not. You don't always need vinegar and you don't really need a lot. That's one thing. Um, well, Sometimes you need a little more. And I do talk about that, yeah. in the, you know, debunk, debunking the three to one ratio of oil vinegar or oil acid myth. We talk, I talk about that in the book, but that's another subject. So, and then sometimes Jean-Francois would put some blue cheese or some toasted walnuts or some in my, in my Chambre de Bonne, they weren't toasted because, well, we didn't really have much to do with you know, getting them toasted. So we just use really fresh walnuts or another nut. And, you know, you can, you can riff on that. You can go crazy with riffs on on salad. Well, I see the excitement of all these iterations happening in your face Mm -hmm. when you're just thinking about salad. So, so fervently, it's kind of amazing. I really Um, am that passionate about salad. Well, I'm I'm saying it does actually show in the book too. It's it's not just another one on the shelf where it's like salads, you know, there, there is, some yeah, I really, emphatic, I hope to, ins- yeah. I really hope this book, you know, in, in my heart, I want to inspire people to eat more salad and to eat better salads because 
It is really such a satisfying dish. Yeah. So let's talk about moving back to Boston, mm. why you chose to, and who you found there, both mm. Stan and Julia. Okay. So after college, I I wanted to, um, it was 1990, 1991. It was the last time we had a really you know <coughs> tough recession here. Now it looks like a cakewalk. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was hard times. I would just graduate from college. I was trying to, I wanted to come, I came back to New York and I wanted to see if I can, you know, get myself in the, I thought I wanted to do graphic design and I was trying to go on that track, but I had a boyfriend in Boston, in Cambridge actually, Massachusetts, and I was going back and forth and then finally I just said, I got to see if this, you know, thing is going to work out with this guy. So I'm going to Cambridge and I was waiting tables, trying to find my way, trying to make some connections. And I was spending all sorts of extra time in the kitchen at the restaurant. I worked at, for Cambridge people out there, and I hope there are some good yeah. Cambridge listeners. I worked at Casablanca. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in Cambridge. I know Casablanca. Yeah. And it was a really great, it was a really special place, you know, working in a restaurant and especially in Boston, the the community of chefs and people, restaurant owners and wait staff was just really fun and awesome. And we had a great, great, great group. We had a community of people at Casabee's and it was great. And the food was awesome. Middle Eastern food. Um, and I spent a lot of time in the kitchen. I was really into going into the walk-in and checking out how everything was organized. I, I like order. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> kitchen is good for people who like order and organization. Usually things are really organized. They have to be. Um, and the chef, um, you know, suggested to me that I consider cooking as a career. And so quickly, you know, one thing led to another and I ended up considering culinary school and then I got a job, you know, starting at the bottom and worked my way up. And um, one of my jobs after a couple of years getting experience in various places, I got a really great job working the line at Salamander in Cambridge. And Salamander was a restaurant that um, had moved into the, what we always call it, the old Michaela's space. And Michaela's was really famous in, in the Cambridge too. And um, Stan Frankenthaler, who was, who became a James Beard nominee and was a really, really interesting, inspired cook who was sort of was taking risks at the time. He opened sort of the Vong for all the New Yorkers yeah. and the Jean Georges people, um, he so it was kind of like the Vong of Boston. It was Asian inspired, yeah. really vibrant flavor flavors. A lot of fresh herbs, a lot of lime, you know, coconut milk. A lot of really fun things that I hadn't had a chance to cook yeah. with before. And this was kind of crazy in the backyard of Julia Child, which taught America mm, yeah. classical French technique. Yeah, but uh, she happened yeah. to walk into that restaurant one night. Well, Julia lived in Cambridge. And um, one night she came to eat at the restaurant and crazy kismet, I had brought my camera to work that day because I wanted to take pictures of, I wanted to do a little photo montage for my grandmother and I was taking pictures of sort of what it was like working in a kitchen. So, you know, at the beginning of the shift, I took pictures of the mise en place and I took pictures of us out by the wood pile. We had a... Oh, it's great. At Salamander, there was a wood-burning stove. There were all sorts of different, um, 
you know, heat elements other than just the, we had a grill, we had a wood fired grill, we had a wood burning stove. Um, we had all sorts of things in addition to the regular stove and oven heat sources to cook with. So, um, I had my camera with me. Julia came in and I was working a station that night that did one of Stan's famous, most delicious dishes, the lobster dish. And Julia Child ordered her entree <laughs> off my station. It was unbelievable. So oh, I was so excited. And, you know, I don't know. I don't think I had time to be nervous. Yeah. You don't have time to be nervous when you're trying not just to burn execute. your arm yeah. off, you know, in the back of a kitchen with all the fire. And oh, it was just so exciting. So um, this dish, by the way, we would take a lot. We would take a live lobster before service. We would... Um, you know, gently cook the claws. We took the claws off the lobster. Then during service, the lobster would, the lobsters were still alive and you would take the lobster and you would split them down the middle. You know, this is one way of killing the lobster. You know, you put a knife in its head between the eyes. It's pretty tough to do, (laughs) especially when, you know, it's the adrenaline of the kitchen. But it was it was pretty amazing. This is a way to do it. And this is the way Stan did it. So we we would cut the lobster lengthwise in half. And then there was this really nifty um, mixture of uh, beaten egg whites. And they were the beaten egg whites till they were like medium or, you know, not quite stiff peak, but probably medium peak. And then we would stabilize it with a little cornstarch. And then that... Uh, mixture would be flavored so it was like a frothy fluffy mixture of egg whites and it would be flavored with lemongrass and toasted coriander and ginger and garlic and that got slathered on the um, freshly killed lobster flesh and then we would heat up oil in a pan and you had to have it just the right temperature to in order to you know because you would put that lobster you know the with the egg side down and it would form this delicious you know fluffy crispy crust on um i'm picturing this the whole time you're talking i'm creating oh my god it was so great and then you would turn the lobster over and you would put in the pan the sauce was really strong it was a really rich reduction of lobster stock and probably some shrimp shells and lobster shells that would reduce probably from like uh, my friend Frank and I were talking about this yesterday. He was helping me remember, you know, all the elements of this dish. And we would probably take five gallons of, of the stock and, and distill it, you know, reduce it down to this really, really concentrated, probably a quart of, you know, uh, lobster stock. And that was mixed with um, more lemongrass, you know, bruised lemongrass and ginger and um, tons and tons of coconut milk. So that would go into the pan and it would reduce sound and that was the sauce. And so it was the lobster and the sauce and there was a vegetable maki roll and you had to do the rice just right. That was before service, getting the maki rolls nice. And then there was a, a really great papaya salad on the dish too. So, you know, it was the 90s and yeah. this was a really great dish and it's still a great dish. Yeah. And Frank was telling me he's he's made it many times since we all left Salamander. My friend Frank Van Overbeek. Yeah. Um, he's a crazy Canuck and <laughs> he's a really awesome chef and he still lives in Boston. But it's so funny to think that that's what you serve Julia Child. And that is what I serve <laughs> Julia Child. And then after service, Julia Child, our, our executive chef, Jim Stringer, brought Julia Child back into the kitchen or Julia came into the kitchen and we I just couldn't even breathe I was like so you know in awe it was Julia Child she's she was so wonderful and she just said you guys are just great you kids are just terrific 
And I I timidly but I boldly asked her if I could get my picture taken with her because I had my camera. Yeah. And she said, of course. And I my smile in that picture is like from here to Kentucky. I was just so amazed. I mean, it was like an epic moment in my life. It's still so much fun to think back to that. And I sent her a copy of the picture with the thank you note a few days later, you know, wasn't a few days later, because you had to get your film developed and your (laughs) pictures printed back then. Remember? And anyway, when I sent it to her, and then about a week later, I got an envelope in my mailbox with that same picture and a note from her. And it was signed by her. And That's she sent awesome. me a really sweet note about us being in or about it being a great profession and it being a really exciting time to be a woman in the field. And she was just really supportive and awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I feel like that's a pivotal moment in your life because you were you were on the line you were splitting lobsters live and then you left the kitchen i did i i you know a couple more years of cooking and i looked at my sort of life and i thought you know do i see myself being a restaurant owner do i see myself you know is this what i'm going to do and there was just a yearning for something more and i was talking to a friend of mine a guy named bob who was a bartender at the East Coast Grill, Chris Lessinger's oh, yeah. East Coast Grill. I worked around the corner from there. Oh, such a great place, too. And um, he, uh, we were talking on the phone. He was doing a little career counseling exercise with me. So he said, well, what do you see around your apartment? Look around your apartment. And I just told him what I saw. And it was pile, you know, it was, wasn't, was magazines strewn about. And it was Saver. Saver magazine was my ultimate go-to everything you know travel food just loved that magazine I still have every single issue ever published and um he goes well would you want to get a job there and I was like (laughs) well dream on but yeah yes of course I would want to get I mean that would be the most awesome thing ever and um it happened this was also just a really lucky, be there at the right time, right place sort of thing. I knew someone, a really good family friend who uh, was also in publishing, and he had a good friend that worked at Sever at the time. So he said, go see my friend Connie, have an informational interview, meet some people there. And, you know, no expectations, but you just never know. You know, you've got to start by meeting people, and you'll you'll be investigating, you know, asking questions, yeah. what it's like to work in a magazine, see if you can get your start. So I went there, and I did that, and then um, I they offered me a six-week unpaid internship, and I was in Boston, but um, I, I instantly said, oh, my God, yes, yes, yeah. I want to do this. So I, I had a car. I sold my car, and I, I got, you know, I broke my lease, and... I came to New York. My dad had a really tiny apartment here, and he was here a few days a week working here. And I slept on his couch, and I started doing this um, two-week in- unpaid internship in an entry-level position. And I was, you know, I think I was 30. So it wasn't like I was just out of school, but it didn't, I mean, I just was so exhilarated. Well, let's and, talk about some of the people that you work with, too. I mean, mm-hmm. Dorothy Kalins. Dorothy Kalins. Is, is, you know, a... Uh, on the pedestal of cookbook editors. Incredible. Right now. Yeah, she's um, doing the most exciting cookbooks right now. Christopher Hersheimer. 
um, you know, who is now at Canal House, uh, started this amazing visual trend of almost rehearkening you know back to natural mm-hmm. light and we could see i mean we were you know a lot of times she would shoot in the office and you could watch her and yeah. she was she's just incredible they are all amazing and dorothy is an incredible incredible magazine editor and cookbook producer and coleman andrews an coleman, incredible yeah. incredible editor and writer and so instead of i mean i couldn't have gone to journalism school and had a better education yeah. it was amazing so i spent two years working um, at Sever and I got to I even got to write a few things and it was so exciting it was so exciting to have to see your name in print to get a byline and it was so amazing just being around all those people and I just I really learned so so much and Melissa Hamilton who works with Christopher now mm-hmm. who they do the Canal House together she uh, during the time I was there she she came she had been at Martha and uh, she came and worked as our test kitchen director and she was incredible. I've been so lucky to work with such incredible people. So yeah, that was really inspiring and amazing. And that was definitely my, that was my start in publishing. So then from Sever, yeah, I mean, uh, we'll touch on the hot topic another time of ghost authoring, mm-hmm. but you ghost authored a diet cookbook and then found yourself in a position uh, to work with Sarah Jenkins uh, mm-hmm. here in New York yep. um, and Karen Damasco of craft at that time to work on their cookbooks with them what is it like now that you're your own cookbook Mm. author to collaborate with a chef it's really great to collaborate with a chef on their cookbook i was so excited to work with sarah she was my first person that i collaborated with sarah is an incredible wealth of food knowledge she has lived all over she grew up from the time when she was three years old you know she had this incredible pair of parents her father was a journalism a journalist and her mom was a writer too and and journalist too i believe and she then started writing nancy Harmon jenkins she's amazing she is a food historian and a cookbook author and you know she really gets very deep into a lot of subjects especially olive oil she's an olive oil expert and so working with sarah was incredible um sarah lived all over she had this gypsy life from when she was a child she lived in all over the mediterranean and parts of the middle east and um she brings all of that to her cooking she um you know she has porchetta and porcena restaurants um and working with her was incredible. I, I, we cooked every dish side by side in her Williamsburg kitchen, <laughs> in her home kitchen in Williamsburg. Um, she was taking a little bit of a break from restaurant, just in between, you know, restaurant gigs. So that was really helpful in terms of getting things done with the book. And I just, you know, you just learned so much. Really, the best thing about collaborating is that how much you learn from yeah. how other people approach things. And I mean, and with Karen's book, The Craft of Baking, which I love, uh, you also help style it. So, I mean, you were tactically there with your hands helping produce these books. Um, and not to gloss over Karen, who, if you don't know that cookbook as well, and Olives and Oranges, which is Sarah Jenkins, um, they are must for the collection, but so is Salads. And I don't want to lose mm, sight yes. of this. Yeah. Um, I mean, you you have another amazing book, A uh, Bird in the Oven, all about roast chicken. All about roast chicken. So uh, in I've started, these are my first two books on my own, my solo ventures. And um, A Bird in the Oven is all about roast chicken, and which is such a great dish. And I had such a good time. You know, I... It, 
it is incredible the amount of things that you can do with roast chicken yeah. and the amount of ways that you can pre- prepare roast chicken. And that's what that book is about. And roast chicken is just a really great dish for any time of the year. And it just it's 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 just so aromatic and it's so easy and it tastes worlds better. It's really the best preparation of chicken. It tastes better than you know, any part of the chicken yeah. separately that you could use, except chicken livers are pretty <laughs> damn tasty. But, um, and then the salads book is the, actually the book I really have had in my heart and in my consciousness for so long. And it's really exciting to be able to have put it out into the world now. Yeah. So what was the first recipe that you said, this is going to be in this book? The salad recipe. Yeah. Well, the thing that sold the book, I wonder if my publisher remembers this, <laughs> was uh, I just said, I have this, you know, I want to do the salad cookbook and it's going to be really different. It's going to be, you know, it's not going to be just, you know, a plate of greens and, and you know, the usual salads. I want to do every salad is going to be unique and really different and going to inspire people to you know, really bring salad into their life. And I said, I make this incredible salad with blueberries. It's a savory blueberry salad with blueberries and feta cheese and whole mint leaves and really good olive oil and flaky coarse sea salt. And it is incredible. And you can eat it as a salad on its own. You can use it as like a a dinner salad or you can even serve it as kind of a savory dessert like you would serve cheese yeah. you know as, not as a sweet dessert well, not I, I as like a how fruit you call salad it elemental too it's an elemental salad yeah. that whole first chapter is elemental salad it's just really kind of looking at one ingredient and what you can do with that one ingredient to make it an extraordinary salad and um i i really feel like that blueberry salad got me a two book book deal with this wonderful publisher Kyle who is based in London and the really cool thing about working with them well there's a lot of cool things about working with them but one of the coolest is that my books also are published in London in in England in you know with metric conversion converted into metric and they uh, they choose a different cover photo and they've changed, they've used different titles of the book. Yeah. Um, in, in Britain, it's called a perfectly tossed salad. <laughs> and here it's called uh, salads beyond the bowl. Yeah, yeah. And it's really great. So this is exciting. Awesome. I just wanted to read a couple of the titles because we're running out of time and we can talk about salad. Okay, forever. great, great. Raw mushroom salad with garlic and herbs. Um, a tender carrots with miso and tahini, which, I will be making very, very soon. But uh, just simple little things in the salads too, like a cashly, uh, cashew parsley pesto. Mm. Um, because the, the salads themselves aren't necessarily even, like you said, elemental uh, dishes. They're not necessarily dishes that have to be composed, but you can take so much away from each simple salad. Well, not necessarily simple, but each smart salad uh, mm-hmm. that you can combine and make your own too. But uh, um, a potato and snap pea salad with garlic, and then you move into proteins and add in meats and fishes. And so, salad is not just a single meal in a bowl, like one dish. It can be so many things to so many people. Um, and I hope this book does the same, you know, uh, for that as 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 you're hoping salads does for the world. Thank you. So, excellent. Mindy Fox, thank you so much for being on. Um, again, we're going to give away a book. You can email me, michael at harlanturk.com. And I want your most inventive salad recipe. We'll pick a winner at random for a signed copy of Mindy Fox's Salads Beyond the Bowl. Oh, oh, oh. 
mindyfox.net, right? Mm-hmm. Mindyfox.net. You can visit me. You can look me up on Facebook and Twitter and all that good stuff, too. She's all over that multimedia, that social network. Excellent. Well, you've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Cheers.